Okay, we'll be in the Gospel of John and chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses 15 to the end of the chapter. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had no sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. For that he that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they had not sinned. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that it is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do ask your blessing upon your word this afternoon. We pray, Lord, you will minister to our hearts, that we may be encouraged of you, that we might be comforted of you, you might realize the things that the Lord Jesus told his disciples that would happen and that they should continue faithful in all which he had taught them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage this afternoon, we want to continue this, our thoughts on uh, this chapter concerning the vine and the branches. And as we find that the, uh, the vine bears uh, a... Uh, the branches upon it, we find that Jesus continued to support uh, the disciples, even as we ourselves are represented by the branches, which uh, are here used in a figure upon the vine, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, we want to realize that Christ uh, meant for his disciples to find uh, the strengthening that they needed in the days of head. Uh, even as Jesus himself was going to suffer and be persecuted greatly and suffer and die for the sins of the world, we find that the disciples would follow in the same path. That is, they would find that uh, as they identified with Christ, there would be similar uh, things happening to them. That the world would uh, not particularly regard them with any great esteem and uh, that they would be pursued and even hated uh, for the sake of Christ and we find that to then uh, preach the gospel of the Lord meant that the, it would cost them to do this um, and uh, it would be a part of their relationship to Christ to go forward and to be uh, effective as um, disciples of Christ and so we want to look at these uh, three areas here um, in this uh, particular part of the chapter I just simply have entitled it I have called you friends. Now, uh, previously, uh, he did not use this term a lot. Maybe perhaps in one other occasion he did. Uh, but he calls them friends, and so it's a, uh, a closer relationship that he has uh, 
engendered with them. And first of all, he says, you are no longer a servant. Now we know that servants were slaves and, and servants were supposed to do the menial work and, and they weren't particularly regarded with any special information about what they were to do. They were simply to do the work. Um, but we find here that um, uh, he says, um, you will not be, uh, have that formal relationship that you might have in any other part of society such as a slave might have with a master. Uh, you see, Jesus was his, their master. Uh, he was their Rebboni. Um, and now he, he has uh, brought on this better relationship with those who served him. And uh, that better relationship now is, he calls them friends. So we'll look at that a little more closely in a minute. Uh, secondly, the world will hate you, he says. Um, of course, uh, there's a lot said today about hate speech and people using language which uh, puts other people down and, and so forth. Um, but when they talk about the world hating the Christian, uh, it is designingly because we are Christians that they hate us. Not because uh, we have said something that is so terrible. It is rather we have said something that they disagree with. And so they hate us for it. Um, because uh, God is light and he is truth. And that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ condemns sinners and the world hates us for it. And so we'll look at that also. And uh, thirdly, the world will persecute you. Now, um, I suppose as we look at this um, list of things that the Lord Jesus told his disciples would happen to them, uh, perhaps the only positive one we could say, well, uh, we're his friends now. But the rest of them uh, seem to be kind of negative, especially this last one. We find that persecution would fall upon the Christians. And we know that even the name Christian, as it was first used at Antioch, uh, was a term of derision. It was not, not a compliment to be called a Christian. And uh, we find that uh, to be a Christian then meant to, that one would have to pay the price of uh, being um, somehow associated with one that was crucified and killed uh, by others. And uh, they justly thought that they had crucified and killed Christ. And now what did they seek to do in the first century uh, but to persecute those who were followers of Christ. And this has not changed, by the way, and we know that many people are persecuted throughout the world uh, who are known to be Christians. Well, we do live in a very difficult time today. Uh, we might say that um, uh, one that we wouldn't have expected what might come on so quickly. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the Lord foreshadowed this uh, kind of thing to happen to his disciples. And it has happened in every single generation ever since the Lord himself was crucified for our sins. It is nothing new that Christians are persecuted or that they are hated for Christ's sake. Uh, and uh, somehow, uh, you know, in the United States, uh, we have had a very affluent society and have been, were, uh, have been accepted for the most part for a number of years, uh, nigh on to 400 years perhaps, uh, that uh, Christians have been accepted but uh, we find that that is beginning to change dramatically and around the world, by the way. So as we begin to look at this passage, um, he, he talks about this new uh, intimacy or new friendship, this new relationship that uh, the vine has with the branches. And he says in verse 15, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Um, now first of all, um, a servant was not told anything um, prior to the command that he is given. A servant was just simply told to go and to do this or that. And um, the, the master of the house didn't confide in the servant and say, well, uh, do you want to do this, or I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. Uh, won't you be kind enough to 
to carry out these responsibilities or duties for me. Uh, most uh, masters were were not that friendly to their servants. After all, they were bought people. They were purchased at the slave market to do a job. And they weren't always treated very kindly. Uh, so the idea of a slave was uh, not a very attractive thing. Um, it is the word doulos, as is, is uh, shown here, and it does mean slaves. Now, of course, this word servant was later used by the Apostle Paul and others. Um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, or a servant of Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, in that regard, Paul considered himself not the same as a bottom slave, but as one who willingly gave himself in service unto the Lord and unto the, the ministry of Christ as a bond slave was one who willingly gave up his, uh, his rights uh, to serve his master uh, even beyond the time that was, he was purchased to, uh, to serve the master. So it was a, Paul considered out of, out of love to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet here uh, we find that the Lord is making a comparison and the comparison between those who are purchased to serve and to be, to be slaves for one and those who are called friends. Now, a slave was not a friend, could, would not be called a friend. And even today, that the word friend is somewhat used kind of, um, well, without much meaning, I suppose. Uh, someone may say, oh, I have lots of friends, but where do you find them? Well, they might be at the bar. Uh, they might be at uh, some place of amusement, they might be in uh, somewhere of an ent uh, entertainment or at the sports arena or down to the ball game or something like this and it's somebody you kind of just chum around with or have a few beers with and, and um, maybe you make some jokes together or something and you call them friends. But um, this, was the, this was different, of course. The kind of friendship that Jesus had now with his disciples was one of closer intimacy and walk with the, him. They knew what Jesus was all about by now. They had seen him do miracles. They had, they had watched him teach. They had watched him perform the kinds of things that only God could do. And uh, they were brought into a closer relationship with the Lord because Jesus had shared with them the will of the Father, exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And he was all, uh, this friendship then uh, became cultivated over a period of time. And so he says, henceforth, from this time forward, he says, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, have made, I have made known unto you. So this last part of the phrase really gives an explanation of this new relationship that uh, he had developed with his disciples. Uh, they knew what uh, he was about. He was, he was doing the Father's business. He had come as the Son of God into the world to die for the sins of the world. And uh, he, he uh, uh, in very incremental ways, we might say, explained to them more and more uh, of his relationship to the Father and of what was going to transpire uh, in his life uh, to, to the very end when he would go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Now it is true that... Um, uh, the disciples did not understand everything all that plainly. Uh, we know that is true. But that does not uh, take away from the fact that Jesus was, uh, was telling them these things. You know, we read many things in the Bible. Uh, we, un we understand partly some things and more clearly some other things. But yet we know them, don't we? We, we understand that the truths are there and we accept them to be from God and uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so the fact that they did not understand everything that Jesus said does not take away from the fact that he had told them or that they were closely drawn to him into this relationship uh, wherein he could now call them friends as someone he had confided in and, and, uh, and was uh, truly close to. And so we find this relationship was, was one which was developing over a period of time. And so now he says, henceforth, I call you not servants. In verse 16, he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever ye shall ask in the, of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So two different areas here that he's, he's also beginning to explain to them about this new relationship that he has with them is first of all, he says, I have chosen you. Now we, we know that bef- he made this statement before. Uh, I know whom I have chosen. Well, it is true that the Lord was the one who chose his disciples. Now in the Middle East, if one was to become a disciple of a of a rabbi, um, they might approach the rabbi and they might say to the rabbi, I would like to be your disciple. Um, and uh, and the, the rabbi would say, okay, you want to be my disciple, then you must come into the understanding and discipline of my teaching. Um, and so, in other words, the the, the disciple went and tried to find a rabbi that they would that they would learn under, but that is not the case with the with the twelve. Jesus chose them. Uh, they did not come to him and choose him, but rather he chose them. And this is the way it is with our relationship with God, isn't it? God chooses us, and we find that as He begins to choose us and call us unto Himself, that this relationship begins to develop more closely. And so uh, that is the first part of it. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and done what? Ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Now the word ordained here simply means to have a purpose, for a purpose. And so what did the, uh, the disciples, uh, were, were they ordained to do? Well, they eventually, of course, would go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every person. Uh, at this particular time, they followed the dictates and, and the uh, teachings of the Lord Jesus. And he had a purpose for that, didn't he? He was, he was really trying to bring them into a relationship with him where they would fully realize that he was the Messiah of God, that he had been sent forth from the Father, and that the Father was accomplishing his purposes through him. And so it was a preparatory time. Uh, the purpose, uh, the ordaining of the disciples was preparatory to future things they would later be called apostles and go and they would uh, significantly establish the teachings of Christ in what we know to be the New Testament church. Uh, and then secondly, or thirdly we might say, uh, he, he talks him about this intimacy of prayer um, and that your fruit should remain that whatever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And so we find that he meant also for the disciples to, to have this closeness of relationship to him that they may be able to ask of the Father. Now, we know later on this would be developed much more and that in the book of Hebrews we find that Jesus is known as the great high priest. And um, uh, one of the Baptist distinctives is the priesthood of the believer. That's one of the Baptist distinctives. Just as one of the other Baptist distinctives is the uh, immersion of, bat, uh, of, the, of the candidate to be baptized. Immersion uh, is necessary for identification with Christ. As uh, even in the early New Testament, we find that baptism by immersion was, was saying, now I am a follower of the Lord Jesus. John baptized them unto repentance. Jesus and the disciples baptized them unto the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Later on, the disciples themselves baptized 
those who came to Christ in the name of Jesus Christ because they became followers of Christ. And so all along the way, this initiatory rite of baptism was significant and very important to the ministry. But the other part was the priesthood of the believer. We find that the believer um, becomes a believer priest. Uh, Early in the book of the Old Testament, we find that that, um, Noah was a priest to his family. Um, offering sacrifices. Just as Adam was a priest to his family, Noah was a priest to his family, Abraham was a priest to his family. Every one of the patriarchs were priests to their own family. It was set up that way in the Old Testament until the time of the establishment of the tabernacle and the priesthood. And then, of course, it became nationally accepted that God established the priesthood uh, of the nation of Israel. But now in the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He has died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He rose again. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we find that according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is now our great high priest. And so who do we go to? We don't go to a person. We go to Christ. And uh, uh, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ becomes our great high priest. We serve as priests unto him. He is the great high priest, just as Aaron was the great high priest in the Old Testament. So we have, we have what's called the priesthood of the believer, the privilege of coming directly to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great mediator. And so we find that uh, Jesus Christ appeals unto God the Father on our behalf because of the blood of Christ. And so we find that uh, a prayer, uh, this, uh, this avenue of prayer which the Lord is introducing here, would become very significant not only for the disciples, uh, that they might understand that they can directly pray unto God the Father in Jesus' name, just as we pray unto God the Father in Jesus' name. And it, it would be a significant uh, change because we know at this particular time, where did they go to pray? They went to the temple. Who, who did, what did they have to do? They had to bring a sacrifice. And uh, who, was the, who was officiated? Well, it was the Levites, the priests that were, that were um, ordained for that purpose at that time. You couldn't, you couldn't go any other way. You, you, there was no opportunity for prayer other than going through the Levitical system. But just as Jesus would say to his disciples, you're no longer slaves, you're friends. I have told you what the Father wanted me to do. And you, and you, you, you understand what I am about. And he says, and you have been ordained for a special purpose that I have, uh, have set up for you. And now you can go directly unto God the Father in my name. And the Lord will answer. So it was a, well, we might say it was a very radical thing, in a sense, uh, that Jesus was telling them that they no longer had to take their sacrifice and lug it to the temple and to go through the other means. That from this time on, when they would become known as apostles of Christ, that things would, would change altogether. And the, the Old uh, Testament way of doing things would be changed because Jesus Christ was instituting the New Testament in his blood upon the cross. In verse 17, these things I have commanded you that ye love one another. These things I command you that ye love one another. Of course, at the very heart of of serving Christ is the love of God and that we love one another. And so as disciples of Christ, as friends of the Lord Jesus, and as true friends of those who are in Christ, we, this, uh, this is to uh, be the paramount uh, thing. We obey the commands of the Lord, and we love one another. We love one another. So this new relationship, they were no longer to be known as servants in the sense of what a servant truly was 
as a servant to a master, they were to be known as friends to the Lord Jesus Christ because they had been brought into this relationship. Secondly, the world will hate you. In verse 18, he says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Well, um, I suppose, you know, this is the part of it that, you know, we... We don't always cuddle up too too well with. Um, most of us don't like confrontation. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to have to get in somebody's uh, face and argue about something or uh, that nature. And um, I don't believe the Lord wants us to take that approach. Anyway, Christians aren't really the militant type. We aren't supposed to be um, going out and and having a holy jihad for Christ. Uh, that isn't the, the way that the Lord meant for us to accomplish that work. But see, this hatred is not because um, we are hateful to others. It is because they disagree. The world disagrees with what we are saying and even how we are living and, and more importantly, who we are following who we are following. Now, if you were following President Biden, you might find a great, uh, a great uh, many people who would like you. And they would probably be progressive Democrats, right? Um, if you were following Donald Trump, you might find a great lo- uh, number of people that would like you, and, and they would be called Republicans and conservatives, and, and um, they would say, oh, you're a good, you're a good person, you know, you, uh, you believe what I believe. But if you uh, try to preach Christ to people in either group, and they don't happen to be Christians, you probably would get a lot of opposition. Because some of them might uh, be following other religious practices, or no religious practice at all. And some of them might be be believing in a false god, or some other religious system, or even a person. And uh, because you didn't believe in what they believe, and you didn't follow what they were following, they would hate you for it. And some of them would just hate you because you were a follower of Jesus, and that's all there is to it. They just wouldn't like you at all. You're a Jesus freak. And they might call you some other names of derision. But they wouldn't mind using the name of Jesus and take it in in profanity, you see. They wouldn't mind doing that. Well, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. The world will hate you, and the idea of cosmos here in this particular setting is called worldly system in society. The worldly system in society. The word cosmos can mean the physical world, or it can mean worldly system, or it can even mean mankind. Uh, But here it is used of worldly system in society. The worldly system that we live in is a very difficult system. Um, it's hard to fit into this worldly system that we, that we live in today. Either you'd have to be a Republican, a Democrat, or you'd have to be a Libertarian, or you'd have to be a Communist, or you'd have to be a Socialist, or you, you, you name it, you'd have to be something to fit into the worldly system. And then there is the worldly system which does not believe in God at all, uh, and they're atheistic, and... Um, well, you would have nothing to in common with them, not as a Christian. You would have any, don't have anything in common with their belief system. And so the worldview of the Christian is from a biblical standpoint, but the worldview of the worldly system is from a secular standpoint, purely secular. And um, you know that is why, of course, uh, we find there's a great diversity of thought in the worldly system in which we live. There's a great diversity of thought, either politically, religiously, or socially, or um, ethnically, 
Uh, you could just name a whole bunch of bunch of things, and uh, where, whatever you name, there is a great diversity within our worldly system. So here it is: the what is this world? What is this group of people that that will hate you as a Christian? It is this worldly system that does not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They do not believe, and they differ greatly upon the whole subject and so we find that he says if the world if this worldly system and keeping keeping in mind of course who we're talking about the disciples they're in the first century um, we can name the Romans here is Caesar here is Pontius Pilate uh, here is um, uh, the, the the Levitical priesthood which does not believe that Jesus is the son of God they want to kill, they want to kill him for it Right? They want to kill him. So he says, if the world hate you, this worldly system hate you, you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, you see. Um, remember, Herod wanted to kill Jesus when he was just an infant, and he sent his officers to Bethlehem, Judea, to slaughter all the children to make sure that he could kill the right one. Because he didn't know which one was the was the right one to kill, because he was a, he was a, he was part of the worldly system too, and he didn't want this this Christ child to come into the world, this King of the Jews, because it would he might lose his throne. And so you can see the selfish ambition which is pent up within the worldly system. And people have a lot of reasons, of course, why they want to get rid of Jesus. They want to sin. They want to follow their own dictates. They want to follow their own belief system. Uh, they, they, they don't like the idea that, that God is telling them anything is to, uh, about what to do or anything about it, or how to be saved, or how not to be saved, or where they're going, or where they're not going. Uh, they just... It just goes against God. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Psalm 2, verse 1. You see, it's the worldly system we live in. They hate being told what to do. They're in the, they're in the throes of rebellion. You see, the worldly system. If the worldly system, this worldly system hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, now if you were a part of this worldly system, you see, he's saying here, if you, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now all you've got to do is go belly up to a bar somewhere and, and buy, the, buy a round of drinks for everybody and you'll have plenty of friends. All you've got to do is uh, take, a, take out a lottery ticket at the local uh, grocery store or, or variety store and, uh, and win $50,000 and pass out $100 bills to people and you'll have all the friends that you, you can possibly imagine. Right? Yeah. You see? But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world... I have chosen you out of this worldly system, he says. Therefore, the worldly system hateth you. Sometimes we wonder why people don't like Christians. Well, Jesus is telling us why they don't like us. Because we're, we're walking down the straight gate, and we're going through the straight gate and the narrow way which leads unto life eternal. And the worldly system is going down the broad way to destruction. And um, this is really as, as simple as it gets as to why people um, do not like what you are telling them. And I'll, I'll guarantee you that what I'm going to say next is true. There's somebody in your family who disagrees with you as being a Christian and they hate you for it. They may not come right out and say it, but they disagree with what you have to say adamantly and will not believe it, and there is nothing you can do to convince them of it, and you know it and they know it, though perhaps they, they're not quite as militant enough to, to, uh, 
say more than I don't want to hear anything about it right now, thank you. Or I have my own belief. Or I have my own religion. Or they may say some other things. But every family has, has those people in them. We know it to be true. We know it to be true. You see, the worldly system, and um, it's kind of built into that system that they're not going to agree with you, and they are actually going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And in fact, uh, all you need to go, all you need to do is go to some foreign country, and such as communist China, or maybe even India, and parts of South America and Europe there's places you can go in fact that worldly system is so antagonistic toward you that you would not only be labeled you may be even ostracized to in, your, in society to such an extent that as in Russia or as in China you would be put into um, well China especially a, a, a concentration camp And you might even be slated to be killed. And they do this, of course, in India and in China especially, um, and in some other parts of the world too, such as in Africa, uh, there is a lot of this that goes on. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were not of the world, the world would love its own. You see, uh, all you got to do is... Um, make some friends with the worldly system and don't tell them anything about your faith in Christ and that would take a quite a bit of course not to do that and they would like you they would like you but Jesus says I have chosen you out of the world therefore the world hateth you um, and uh, this, is the, this is the part of, I suppose, of our Christian living that becomes a little more difficult, isn't it? Um, the world hates us. And then as we go on to the next uh, um, point here, the world will persecute you. It is the world, um, the word here, uh, dikuo, um, is the word, dikuo, and it means given to suffer or to pursue to persecute <laughs> in the sense uh, and that's what this word means um, later on we run into another word it's matuo it, we get the word martyr from it and it talks about being a witness we get the word witness from that word we also get the word martyr from it matuo but we find here that the world will not only hate you, but the world will end up persecuting you. And so in verse 20, he says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. And of course, so we know that uh, Jesus used the same phrase um, earlier in the upper room when he was washing the disciples' feet. And he told them at that time, the servant is not greater than his Lord. So he uses, uses the phrase here, remember, remember, he says, remember this. <laughs> this is a, a little while later now. He says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they had persecuted me, have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now this, uh, of course, the word they, we sometimes, well, who is the they? Well, we know here it's identified as those of the worldly system. In this particular context, it had a wide, a, a very wide uh, application, of course. It could be Rome, it could be the Gentile nations, it could be the Jews themselves, uh, the, the priests in the Levitical system, you know, anybody who was not a part of the followers of Christ are they. It is they. They are the they. And uh, 
they also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now, of course, this would kind of prophetic in a sense, because later on, this would all come to pass. As the disciples would go out and preach the gospel, there would be those who would accept him, them, and there would be those who would hate them. And so it would become clear at that time how that would come about. It would also be clear at that time how some of them would accept the sayings of the apostles and others would not. And so if, you, if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also, also prophetic of what would happen later on. He says, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And so, because they were going out in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, they would, they, the worldly system, would do all these things unto them. Because, because they know not him that sent me. They know, that is, they know not God. They know not God the Father. Now this becomes quite telling because he's talking to as much to the uh, the Jewish uh, all of the Jewish leaders and priests um, and the Jews themselves as of the Romans and of the, the other Gentiles. He's talking about all of them. He says they don't know God. Now you would think that the Jewish people would have known God, but remember he is talking in a broad context here. So. Uh, remember the opposition that Jesus had in his day from the Jewish people. They wanted to stone him. Every time he went and did something in the temple, they were ready to kill him. They pursued him. Uh, they, they were constantly dogging him that, to, uh, to somehow capture him. Until at last they found one among his, his very own disciples that they could bribe and they bribed off Judas to finally um, get Jesus in one particular vulnerable location where he could be exposed and they could capture him, you see. Uh, and this is what the world will do. And so, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, that's verse 21, because they know not him that sent me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Now what is he talking about here? Well, primarily what is he talking about? His Messiahship. Obviously they knew what sin was all about. The Levitical system was all about sacrificing for man's personal sin. And the priest was, a, was a, an advocate, a mediator between God and man uh, because of sin. They know what sin was all about. But what sin were they so guilty of? Uh, it was the sin of rejecting the Messiah. You see, Jesus had revealed himself. He had come and now was revealing himself, fully revealing himself as the true Messiah of God, the one that was sent from God, and they rejected him. And that is what he is saying. But all these things will they do unto you for my namesake. And then in verse 22, if they had not come and spoken, uh, and spoken unto them if I had not come and spoken unto them they had not had sin they had not known this particular they had not done this particular sin of rejecting the Messiah that's what they would not have been guilty of if he had not come you see but he has come but now they have no cloak for their sin now they have no excuse for their sin basically is what he said they have no excuse now they, they have rejected me and there's no excuse for what they have done. They've rejected me. And we're all quite familiar with the unpardonable sin in the uh, Gospels. And how that the unpardonable sin was to attribute the work of, of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Basically, to Satan. The work of God to Satan. And so, you know, that was part and parcel I suppose with what he is saying here but they were rejecting the Lord Jesus as the Messiah and now they have become fully guilty there was no excuse verse 23 he that hateth me hateth my father also and so why does he make this statement is because to reject 
the Messiah is also to reject God the Father because God the Father sent the Messiah into the world you see and so to reject one is to, re is to re reject the other to hate one is to hate the other verse 24 if I had not done among them the works which no other man did then had not had they had not had sin but now have they both seen and hated me and my father so what, what is he saying here he's saying, going on further and he's saying I did works among them that could only be attributed to God that could only be attributed to the Messiah I, I did those things that God the Father sent me to do I healed the lame I gave the blind sight I made the lame to walk I forgave sins he did all of those things that only God could do and he says they still would not believe it isn't that he came and said oh I'm the Messiah do you believe me no he didn't just do that no he did signs and wonders which affirmed that he was the true Messiah of God and so uh, in other words, the confirmation of the things that he said was overwhelmingly in favor of the fact that they should have known. But they rejected him. They rejected him. But this cometh to pass, verse 25, that the word might be fulfilled that is written uh, in the law, in, in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, this particular reference goes back to I believe it's Psalm 69 and David gives a messianic psalm where he says they hated me without a cause and it's messianic I suppose because that um, I'm sure David gave a lot of people reasons to hate him <laughs> you know from the natural human viewpoint um, but D David was speaking in, uh, beyond himself in a messianic viewpoint I mean after all David was truly the rightful king upon the throne that God had anointed and he now was making this statement in Psalm 69 but of course under the inspiration of the word of God Jesus could use this very statement because he was the innocent son of God he was truly of the line of David he was sent of the father he did come into the world and manifest signs and wonders revealing himself as such and they still hated him and they still hated him so he could he could actually say this in righteousness and true justification that they hated him without a cause he could say that in verse 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Notice the Comforter comes from the Father. And we have the triunity of the Godhead. Remember, Jesus was sent from the Father as well. God's only begotten Son. Jesus was sent from the Father. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, came from the Father. And now Jesus says, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, Remember, Jesus was to go back to the Father at the Ascension. He would be at the very right hand of God. He would do the bidding of God. He would send the Comforter. Whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now this is another very important uh, element that we ought to catch here, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't testify of itself. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triunity, only testifies of the Son. It testifies of the Son. That is, it gives witness of Jesus Christ and who he is as the Son of God. In fact, in John chapter 3, how do we find that we are born? We are born from the Spirit of God, which is from above. And so the Spirit of God gives testimony of our new birth because Jesus Christ died upon the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he has affirmed his own Messiahship, his Saviorship as the Son of God, and the Spirit of God testifies to that 
we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God does that work in our hearts, it testifies to us of the Son of God. And so people who, you know, try to emulate the Spirit of God above Jesus are, shouldn't do that. We realize that the Spirit of God plays a significant role in testifying of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, what happened when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? The Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in the figure of a dove and rested upon him. And what did God the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He didn't say, this is my Holy Spirit that I send. No, he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God testifies with Jesus. It did before and it does after. When he finally came as the Comforter. Verse 27, And ye also shall bear witness. Uh, this also is important. Now, the witness is going to be borne by you and me as well. It is borne by the Spirit of God, and it is borne by us. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And so he does forge this new relationship. Jesus forges this new relationship with his disciples. I have called you friends. You are no longer a slave as if to a master. You are a friend and as true servants unto me. The world will hate you, the world system will hate you, because it hated me, and it will continue to hate you, even as it hated me. And the world will persecute you, will seek to persecute you, even as it persecuted me. But he calls them his friends. And he says, I will send you another comforter. And he says, you will become witnesses of me, even as the Spirit of God will witness of me. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us today. and Ask, Lord, that you will bless it to our hearts and strengthen us in our walk of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.